I needed someone who was going to build my organization. And I was very, very mm. crystal clear in that interview. Right. You are building the organization. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. My name is Rich Brubaker, and I'm a Shanghai-based mission-driven entrepreneur who spent the last 20 years building mission-driven organizations, profit and non. And my partner in crime is the amazing Tom Stater. He spent the last 16 years building the Library Project, which is an amazing organization focused on rural education literacy. He's also recently jumped into the nonprofit consulting through Nonprofit Insights. And I'm sure he will be telling us more, but if not, I got links below down for you. The mission of this podcast, the mission-driven podcast, is a pretty simple one. Uh, Tom and I simply just want to inspire and equip the next generation of entrepreneurs, profit and non, who are on their own mission, be it social, environmental, or economic. You know, trying to help them figure out how they can scale, how they can find funding, develop their first team, you know, measure impact, and then obviously, you know, take those programs forward. And so to achieve this vision, we built out a, a series of 10 sessions as a starting point we're really focusing on what we think are the critical areas for starting and scaling an organization. And through this week's conversations, we're gonna be focused on building and managing teams. With that, I'm gonna start off uh, knowing that Tom has spent a lot of time on HR recently. Um, Tom, I got a couple of questions for you. And mm -hmm. I'm just gonna start off really, you know, this is softball for you. Um, who makes the best employee? The passionate individual who wants to save the world get into nonprofits, educate the world, or the pragmatic and perhaps experienced professional who brings a skill set that you're missing, but hasn't really drunk the Kool-Aid yet on NPO, NGO, or the charity model itself? Well, I, I, I would say it's not a matter of who makes a better hire. Uh, and to be completely honest, I mean, that's like kind of like, in, 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 in my opinion, that's a, that's like a, that's a question that I'm going to get in trouble answering, uh, Richard. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, you know, because because it really depends on the kind of organization that you have um, and the culture that you have. Uh, right now, uh, we are hiring fundraisers and uh, at the organization, and we're hiring for experienced fundraisers. Mm -hmm. Challenges finding experienced fundraisers. Because if yeah. you have experience, you're probably getting offers from a lot of organizations to work for them. And we're still not at the level that we could be competitive with regards to say Shanghai as an example, but in yeah. Xi'an where our headquarters is, which is like a tier two city in, yeah. in China, um, yeah. we're very competitive. Um, and, and, and so it really depends like, we can hire an, an experienced person in Xi'an, but we couldn't hire an experienced person in Shanghai. So tell me about your first hire. When did you recognize that you needed someone in the office? And then were you clear on what you were looking for? I found the right person. Uh, it was the girlfriend of my best friend and she needed a job. And she was an educator and I was starting an education organization. Mm. Uh, she was interested. She didn't really understand the space. She didn't understand nonprofit. She, she saw maybe some passion in me and, and she was like, Oh, I like this guy. He's trying to help my country. He's trying to, yeah. you know, do something. I don't understand what he's doing, Okay, but let me give it a shot. And she liked the, but like I asked her what she wanted to get paid and I could match what she asked for. And 
And we went for it. She was our first hire. She hired as a country director. And she said, like, where's my staff? And I just kind of laughed and said, well, that's your second hire, whoever that is. You know what I mean? Like, yep. who are, like and, and I, I, re, I truly stepped away. Like the, the next person we hired has been with us for, I think, probably 15 years at this point. Wow. Um, and she was our second hire. And okay. I found her. But then I made sure that Jenny hired her. Mm. And, and I was at the very beginning, I knew that uh, that is the kind of organization I wanted to build. But did you start with like, I have an immediate need. I know a plug. I need a, I know the gap. I need a nah. plug or you were no, just like, I, I, I'm so busy. I need people to help take stuff away from me. And here. I wasn't even busy. I had an idea. Okay. Um, and, and I, and I implemented about nine libraries at that point, two in China, two in Viet, uh, seven in Vietnam, moved right. it back to China, had an office space with an extra desk and the desk was going to be unused if I didn't put someone in it. Mm. Um, and I put someone in it. I needed someone who was going to build my organization. And I was very, very mm. crystal clear in that interview. Right you are building the organization and how did that, I, how did that was, go well it went well because she didn't she was like eh, all right like i need a job and i'm not really sure if this is this guy seems a little crazy you know but like mm -hmm. but but i like i remember about a month in i saw her just like sitting at her desk and kind of like kind of like lost she was just lost right right she was busy but there was just she hit this wall and, and she's like, I don't have anything to do. And I remember just saying to her, okay, like, you know, can you do me a favor? Like spend an hour and write down everything we need to get done at the organization. She made that list and she was like, I, I get it. I understand the exercise now. Mm, and so, okay. um, and she was an outstanding first hire. Okay. And I think it's because of who she was, yeah. but it was also because of the, the language I used around her and the, and how I empowered her to be great. That, that, that person we want. So yeah. what about you? I'm going to ask you the same questions that you sure. asked me. Um, like, tell me about your first hire in, in, yeah. in both of your entities. So you've got your nonprofit entity and yeah. then you've also got your, uh, your social enterprise for-profit entity. Um, yeah. How are those different? What was your first hire like for both of those? Well, the first hire for hands-on, uh, that's the, the nonprofit uh, entity. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, as, as we talked about in the last session, uh, I got a check for about 15 grand from one company. And I was like, okay, I, I want to expand the organization. And I won't say that I viewed this person as the future leader or, hey, you're going to build it and I'm going to sell. Like, I didn't have a clear idea. I was just like, I need someone who can help take this to the next level. Uh, the main bottleneck was my ability to identify partners, you know, basically onboard the volunteers and then set up the project management network. Like we had a lot of pieces going on, but I had another business going and I need someone to really help me coordinate and, you know, then take that part of it, like after a few months and then like sit down, like what does the organization need to do? And then just start to chuck through it. Right. And yeah. she was an experienced professional, but she was young. I think, wow, I mean, she would have been probably late, 
mid to late twenties. So she had a couple of years of nonprofit experience already. Um, she was passionate about nonprofit, passionate about the, the general mission that we are on, but I won't say that she had drunk the Kool-Aid on volunteering per se, but we clicked pretty quickly, pretty much right away. Like it, I think it took one interview. And then the debate with me was like, how much do I, can I afford? Can I afford what she's asking? Can I negotiate her down to what I was offering? You know, whatever it may be. And amazing first hire. Uh, she was with us for, I'll call it 10 to 12 years. I forget the exact, but she's still the board chair. So she stayed with us the whole time from 2007 till now. So we'll call that 14 years. Collective was different, but in the same way, very similar. Um, my first hire, Charlie Matthews, a uh, young British guy. He had worked with another entrepreneur in the space of sustainability who had also been known as a brand. So at the time, I was really looking to develop a very specific platform around events and writing. And I won't say as an individual brand, but really like I was trying to put myself forward first and then build something out later. Didn't really know what. Um, he had successfully done that with somebody else who was crazier than I was. And that just made it a lot easier for me because I knew he was battle tested. He did a great job and he came in and, you know, young and he was aggressive and he knew how to sell. And so he had the skill set and he had the passion and he already believed in the general mission of sustainability. And we clicked right away. He was with me for three and a bit years, I think, before he transitioned over to something else. Um, but, you know, I would say with all of them, with Feng Hui and with Charlie, very quickly, their desire to move the needle further than I had originally planned was evident. And they really took up a lot of ownership, I would say, emotionally, but also with the team, with the projects, with ideas. And they wanted to really kind of keep going um, in a way that I think that we can talk about later, like other employees didn't. They were, they were employees one or two. They had a high level of emotional equity and they also had the capacity to do something. But the passion was definitely central to their, to the hiring decision and to their ability to become those amazing employees. What do you think the role of the founder is uh, with regards to maintaining uh, a, a mm. team in the early stages and then in the later stages? How does that change? Does it change? Oh. It changes. And I also think it changes how much you recognize your role versus how much you think it will just auto magically happen. And I would say for both of them, I was a little bit more on the auto magic side versus the, I need to constantly curate and engage and lead and manage, like do those things. Like I never really fully captured that balance between leadership and management. And I was never really good at having like hard structured conversations. I was really like, guys, we're going that way. And I wanted to see that. And if I see, if I saw someone kind of like sitting there idle and kind of lost, I'd be like, all right, if they're new, okay, let like spend a little bit more time with them. But if they're more experienced, it'd be more like, what's going on? Like, why, why aren't you keeping up? Um, and so early on, I'd say it was really important to be there because I think resources were tight. Also, they may not have known what was needed. We like, we would collaborate more on what the gaps were, but then over mm. time, I think you need to be able to step away and let the team tell you, 
I need this, yeah. approve the budget. If you're dealing with young and more inexperienced people, you're really mentoring them as well as managing them, as well as leading them, where later on, you're more likely to hire experienced individuals who may not like the way that you manage or view a task. They may have their own way. And I think a leader has, a founder has to learn how to adapt to that. And I'd say that's, that's where my struggles were. Like that's, that's where I failed multiple times. That's where I've learned my biggest lessons. Um, I'd like to say I got it better now. I'm not going to say I got hundred percent right. Uh, but that's, that's where the, 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 the challenge is for a lot of founders. Um, I would actually, I, I'd ask you the same, but I want to ask it in a different way. I talked to a lot of founders who started in teams. It wasn't just them. Like you and I really started our organizations as solos, right? Like we didn't have a partner that co-invested. We didn't have a partner that sat in the office next to us that we were like, we are going to change the world. We, we brought someone else in. Um, when I talk to other entrepreneurs who have two, three, four co-founders, honestly, they, they look at it very different. They look at it much easier. One person was good at HR. One person's good at vision. One person's good at product development. So in your early days, like, do you wish that you had some co-founders who could have helped you with this process? Like you could have focused on what you love. They could have focused on what they love and that would make things easier. Or are you glad that you found someone who kind of became the co-founder over time, even though they started as an employee? You know, no. Absolutely not. I think with these two organizations that I have, I was not ready for a mm. co-founder. Okay. I had a vision. I knew where, what I wanted it to be. I didn't play well with people, but, I, but I'm really happy about my decision uh, with the library project of doing it solo. Yeah. Um, but I never treated my team as employees and i okay. still don't and that i think is a reason why you know uh, my country director has been with us for 12 years yeah she wasn't always a country director she started off as the project manager but so, how did she move into that role how did you get to a point where you could let her be more than an employee like she's almost oh like, it oh, wasn't well, me hey hey i i you know we I'm a huge believer in you, you know, you, you, you put your job description out there. You're like, this is the JD I want. This is the role. Yeah. This is the experience. This is this, this is that. But when you're sitting in front of someone, you're, you're hiring for in most, in all, in most, unless it's like accounting, like you, where you need like someone with a skill set, yeah. even that you train for. Uh, but it's like, it's, you know, you're, you're hiring for passion. Mm. Um, and then like, you know, you might hi hire someone on as the project manager and right. like, you know, like, like as a great example, like we, we, we hired this lady as a project manager. She was a project manager for three months, mm. four months, six months, whatever. Um, and then for whatever reason, she gravitated to fundraising. She gravitated to being mm. an assistant fundraiser. But then even within that, it took her six months of being kicked around the fundraising department to right. find out what she's good at. But it, but it yeah. was a journey for her. Right. Um, and, I, but, and I think it's a journey for everyone on our team. Yeah, but how long can you support that journey when you're small? I mean, 
you know, you got all that cash flow going into this person and they're not converting and they're stumbling around. Like it, it depends. It depends where like, like with the employee that I was, I was speaking about, like she's great at what she was doing. Right. It just took her six months for it. It took us six months to give her the time and mm. us six months to, to find that space for her. And right. she's, she's outstanding. How do you keep people accountable to their job, to themselves, to the team over time as you're growing? I mean, I, I found that, you know, having one to three staff, you know, it's much easier, but once you get to 10, you get to 15, you get to 30, some of those structures, some of those processes, like they get lost. So how did you scale through that? Or how did you learn through that process of really, you know, making sure that you have those structures in place that you are constantly engaging with everyone? Cause it's, it's a lot of work. Well, you know, I think that's a really interesting question. I think that, um, you're never going to get your HR strategy, right? You're never going to get your processes right. You're always going to be behind the eight ball. You need to build in a resilience within the organization and the team so that when you hit the wall, when your team says, we have outgrown this HR structure, things need to change, that the organization is resilient enough to ask, yep. listen, and then communicate a uh, uh, a path to bringing it to the next level, and, and and you know I think a lot of that is just you know it's 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 just follow through, and and yeah. you know we just did an HR survey, uh, you know, and and there's a reason for it. There's you know we want to we want to listen to our team, we want to yeah. ask, um, yeah. and then we're at the point now that. Um, we want to see some real improvement at the organization with regards to HR. Mm -hmm. And we normally do these things um, at a schedule of doing it annually, but yeah. we want to do this, this quarterly for the next uh, year and then back it off to being annual gotcha. um, to kind of really just kind of, kind of really tweak some things because um, I think for the most part, we don't see ourselves, you know, growing too far beyond where we are with regards right, to scale. Right. And so I think we want to get it right. We were smaller, we grew larger, then we contracted yeah. a little bit. Now we're growing a little bit. Yeah. Um, we had one office, we had two offices, then we had three offices, then we have two offices, now we have one office. And that's just a natural, like, that's just natural with, you know, with an organization well, growth it, it, and, and history. That might be, but a lot of employees, when they're seeing that movement, that whipsawing back and forth, I mean, that can be quite jarring. So what is, how does that put pressure on you to manage or lead through those times where, you know, you're, you're ebbing and flowing quite a bit, like going from, you know, multiple offices to one, doubling the team size, cutting back, like as funding changes, you know, you got to communicate a lot. Have you, have you found a really good way to do that? No. I think it's over. No, I mean, really, I don't. There is no good way of doing it. Like, I, I would say if I were to like, that was me probably being a little bit honest, but, but I would say that over communicate. Yeah. I, especially with HR, like uh, benefits and anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's over communicating and never over promising ever.
that's an important one <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. And, and also understanding like, Hey, we were employees at one point, we yeah. were team members at one point somewhere else. And, right. and if we you have to ask yourself, like, would I be okay with the situation that they're in? Right, and if right, you're right. not, then there's an issue. Then you got to, to address it. Then you right. have to address it. Yeah. What is the worst situation in HR you've been in and how did you get out of it? I had to lay off five people and six people in one day, one in two days, closed two offices. Mm. Uh, well, one department of an office and then one country office. That was by far the toughest. And I would say I did some of it really well. Okay. And I did some of it really poorly. Um, I just ripped the Band-Aid off. Uh, in hindsight, I would have probably taken a month okay. to properly plan it out and just say, listen, we're going to eat the cost um, and, just, and just do it that way. Um, and I think that that probably would have uh, cost a lot more money, but um, would have probably ended uh, better. I've been through it as well. Like I ran out of cash. It was about six, seven years ago as well. Uh, down to about a thousand, two thousand dollars in the bank account. Had uh, yeah, I don't know, fourteen employees. I had to lay off five or six pretty quickly. Um, but yep. I actually, I set them all down and they were actually aware well going into the fact that I need to make layoffs that we were running low on, on money. And yeah. I was like, look guys, you, you've all got to go and reel in the money that is owed to us first. We've got to sell some shit. We got to figure out what costs we can nail down. And then worst case scenario, I'm going to lay some people off. And so I'd actually prepared people. I put no prep into that meeting. Really. I just was I recognized it maybe a month earlier than maybe you did and just said, look, I, I, in two months, three months, we're going to have no choice, but to lay people off. And it's going to, it's going to suck. And you know, people were crying. Like they're like, shit, they're scared. And like, yeah, I mean, we're all, we're scared, but we kind of, I, I think this is like maybe where I, the one time I may have actually gotten something right. is like, I empowered the team to understand. And I trusted them to understand that like, look, we're all in this together. I'm doing everything I can to help you. And, you know, we're, we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to go through it no matter what. And yeah, we laid off a bunch yeah. of people. I had a couple people quit, said I can find another job. Like, All right, cool. A couple more part-timers. All right, look, you're, you're sorry. You got to go. Um, and, you know, I just, I took care of people. I definitely paid out the benefits as you're supposed to. I didn't skimp on anyone, um, but it was really hard. And I found like, yeah, there, there's no way to start that conversation well. And there's no way you're going to walk away from that feeling better than when you would. Well, you might feel a little bit better because at least you're being honest with people and they kind of see what's happening. But at the same time, like you're not going to feel better from that conversation in any way. Cause you know, you still have to make the hard decisions after that. And, you know, honestly, what I learned a couple times after doing that a few times was, you know, actually having the difficult conversation with people up front um, is the, like the most humane thing you can do. You know, I think learning, you have to give yourself as the founder, um, because most likely, you know, most likely you've never started a company before. Yeah. Most likely you've never started a nonprofit before. And most likely you're going to hire people. And most yeah. likely you're going to get yourself in, into a situation that you're 
you're going to have to lay people off or, or, or fire people. And yeah, my only recommendation is take it, take, take some time to really get it right, but also know that you're not going to get it right. The way I look at like particularly firing people uh, early on, I was someone who was just, I hated it. I avoided it. And it actually, it created more problems for myself and the organization period. Mm. Now that's not a reason to do it, but it's definitely a reason to understand that you need to do it at certain times and you need to learn how to do it in the right way. And I think a lot of times what I found was, you know, holding people accountable from kind of day one and really checking in and make sure that they're, they're doing well, but then also, you know, having harder conversations earlier on, like, look, you're struggling here, what's going on, or you're not fitting in what's going on. And then that way, the signals are there that there's a concern so that when a, a tough conversation happens, that it's not a total shock to the system. Because I think early on, I wouldn't say anything. They would just do something wrong. And like, you know, just all these little things added up and then bang. And they'd be like, what oh, happened? See, right? This is, this is where me and you differ. And I <laughs> like that we differ on something. This is good. But I Firing? learned over time that I need, that was early on. I learned later on that's that didn't work well. I have, if, if, if someone has gotten themselves to a situation that they need to be fired, fired, mm. yeah. there's a difference between being fired and let go. Yeah. All right. Those are two dramatically different things. One is, you know, finances. One of them might be that we're just, mm -hmm. we have a different direction at the organization. That's like being let go. That's like, yeah, like, I fired. I'm yeah. sorry. If you have put your, if you have somehow put yourself into that situation that yeah. you have, that you have, I mean, we've only done it a couple of times and it has been right. for major, major fuck ups. Yeah. And, and it isn't like one time. It's not like right. they did one thing wrong. It was an, a stream of just yeah. bad, like, it's bad employees, right. all right? You're fired. Right. I have no, I, I don't break a sweat. I don't lose one minute right. of sleep right. um, because, because they failed. And, and not like, not in, a, not in a good way. I mean, there's failure. All not the like time. the intention to do right, but still couldn't do it. But like, no, but like when they, they have to have up. intention to do wrong. Yeah. That's how you get fired. Like you're being all an right? asshole. In, intention to do wrong right that whatever yeah like enough go away yeah, um, we had, we had to but, do that. but but then like but then like i'm all for having people who you know you bring them on in one capacity and you spend time finding that place that mm. they fit right i will do that for two years if i need to when wow. i know that the person is a good like they're like they have their, their hearts in the right place. Yeah. They care. Um, they 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 come in every day and yeah. are just you know focused on being positive, making a difference. I I, I will do that indefinitely for that individual. Indefinitely. Okay. Definitely. Question: You have a yeah. high performer doing really well, bringing a ton of impact to the organization, one way or another. Sure but they're not that positive. They're kind of a negative force inside the office. They're, 
whatever for, for whatever reason. They could be totally toxic. They could be gossipy. They could be just hard to work with. Do you keep them? Do you, you know, do you work with them? Do you like, how do you manage that person? I think that offices are like families, especially small offices, small organizations. And I've, I stopped a long time ago trying to, you know, professionalize the library project of 10 people. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like make it tick like, 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 like Tencent or Microsoft or, you know, right. with the, with the, with the, the HR structure of Bayer, you know what right, I mean? Right, it's right. like, yeah, it, it is a family. It is. It's a small family and, you know, families get kind of clicky sometimes. Yeah. Like I, I like small companies. That's where I like to work. Mm. I enjoy the, I enjoy the, the idiosyncrasies of small companies. It's not for everyone. But, you know, like it's, it, I say to my team with regards to those situations is, you know, you got to work with, with people. You're like, yes. you know, you, it's, you got to like, you got to kind of power through. You have to, right. you have to, you have to find the, the positive in each individual. Um, mm. And, and, and you have to have empathy. You have to meet 50%. You, you don't have to agree all the time. Like right. there's being negative and then there's being an asshole. Assholes get fired. Right. Um, having a enough. negative attitude every once in a while. It's, yep. it's, it's, it's nonprofit work. It's hard. Yeah. What about balancing the emotions of the work itself? Is that something that you find is a challenge that unique to nonprofits? It's something that nonprofit founders should, should pay attention to because, you know, we're all trying to save the world and there could be some emotion around that. Like, is, is that a problem? Is that something to be harnessed? Is it both? I'm constantly surprised by how important my voice is at the organization, even 16 years in to my team. Right. I am as, and I try every day to not make a decision and to empower and to step away and to give all, all responsibility and all empowerment to the team. But I am constantly surprised by how important the founder is within a small nonprofit, even 16 years in, even right. when I haven't been to the office in two years right. because of COVID, I'm right. still that, that voice really does matter. Those one-on-one yeah. -on -one meetings, those phone calls, those, you know, calling people out with email, something that we're doing yep. at the organization now, like just, you know, praising, you know, good deeds, but having that come from me as the founder is yeah. part of the role of being a founder. Yeah. And that's hard because it is exhausting, right? It is, it is as a founder, it's like, I don't know of a founder that isn't, that doesn't have a, that doesn't struggle with it. I, I just know like that you it's, have the ability to really shape their minds very quickly to, you know, the few words mm -hmm. really lift them up or with a few words, really break them down. Um, and it's, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, all I do is I praise all day. Yeah all day. Mm. And, and like HR to me is like 
a great example that someone someone gave me. This was the uh, director of a really large automotive company in China. He said HR is positive, positive suggestion, positive, hmm. and I, I do that. Okay, I, I think that that is, and I've lived by that. It is just in my in my vernacular, right? In right. my in my cadence in 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 the language I use, uh, it is constantly providing positive reinforcement and yeah. then when i come out and say hey you know you know i think that it would be a really interesting idea if we do x mm -hmm. then it's like oh all right like yeah um that's a good that's a good then it's a safe space right 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 but i find that the founders is someone who that's the role it's to praise it's yeah. to be proud it's right. to support it's not to do right right and it's not to manage in my opinion. Shouldn't be, right? I think the, the hard part is learning how not to manage, to lead, but also just to let go sometimes and, and to let those people come up. All right, so I'm gonna ask you, and it's the same question I always ask because you're different from me. Mine, I do just nonprofits. So, yeah. and I've historically only started nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Scaling HR. How is it different in a nonprofit and a for-profit in the same city? You're, they're both in Shanghai. Yeah. Um, teams seem to be generally in the same kind of scope. You know, they're, they've, they've fluctuated up and down, but within like, like under 50 people, mm -hmm. you know, over five. How is it different? Like, where is there more, yeah. you know, people leaving? What is, which one's? easier Ooh. i don't want to say like the wrong you know I, you know well, where the, can you be more competitive i don't know it's hard to really peel that apart and be fair to either organization i'll just call the reality for what it is the nonprofit team has been far more stable and they've just been far more stable through the entire history of the organization there are, there's probably within the first three to six months of a person coming on board, the turnover is more likely to happen there than within the consulting, like the consulting side's more likely to happen after a year or two years, because you have a lot of tourism in the nonprofit space. I think I want to try this. I think I want to try that. And so they'll find yeah. out after three months that they really want to live the NGO life. And so they'll turn out faster. And then they go. And then they go, <laughs> right? And they go quick. Um, and they're also apologetic. They're, you know, like the way, yeah. usually it's a graceful, this just isn't working out. It's not what I thought it was. I'm going to go back to whatever. Yeah. Uh, for the for-profit side, what I find is I hired very differently. Like I hired my first uh, eight, uh, 10 to 12 full-time hires were all masters, you know, degree holders from overseas. All my charity staff, for the most part, were locally educated, non-masters um, professionals. And they were more professional, where I hired younger, more driven, and then academically skilled up people for the consulting. So they were actually just very different people. And I won't say that one is right or wrong, but they were more right for each organization's mission. Yeah. Right. Um, now, 
the consulting, I would say they tend to want um, a higher salary, more advancement, more recognition, more client projects. They want to see a career trajectory in a different way than the nonprofit team that I have. And I'm not saying that they don't have ambition, but they look at ambition very differently. And I think they find a lot of, they, they just find the, the, the power in having impact and the partnerships and that part to be really quite great. And so that can drive them a lot farther than it would with my consulting team. Yeah. But on the nonprofit side, I'd say the other thing that I find is that those individuals face potentially a lot of pressure from the parents, boyfriend, girlfriend, friends, peers, whatever. Like, look, they, they want to break away, but then eventually they have to go back to what's expected. Where in the consulting arm, what I face is I lose more people to better branded consulting agencies. Pricewaterhouse, yeah. Ernst and Young, Ogilvy, Edelman, to idea like to to the consulting business service firms that look at mine and go, "Hey, you skilled them up. Thank you. We're going to take them. We're going to pay them more. We have a proper structure. We have proper development. We have all these things that you can't provide." And so I would then the last caveat today would say managing them is vastly different because I can I can employ someone to hands-on and be like, this is your project. You're going to, you're going to work with migrant kids. You're going to work with elderly, you're going to work with university students. And they're just going to get so deep into that, that they're not going to look up and be like, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. We're on the consulting arm. I think it, it's a, it's a different balance. Like they want to work on meaningful work, but they want to be recognized in ways that their friends are also being recognized. And because it's in the for-profit realm, they really do expect you to keep on par. It doesn't have to be even. Like I'm a social enterprise versus Price Waterhouse. Like, you know, I might be able to pay the same from a, a pure entry perspective, like you just graduated, but they're going to escalate pretty quickly through their salaries and incentives and training and all that. And for, you know, my employees there, I'm not saying in all cases, but in a lot of cases, they look at that and their friends are like, hey, I'm at Ernst Young and I'm getting one, two, and three. It's it really, it, it's just different and no one's better than the other. I think the, the most important thing is to hire the right people for each organization yes. and be sure that you're, as part of the hiring process, asking the right questions. Tom, three tips for a new entrant to mission-driven entrepreneurship on how to better manage and hire, attract, retain amazing ninjas and ninjets for the organization. Uh, hire for passion, number one. Hire for a position, but don't that understand that that might not be the where that individual lands long term. I don't think really process HR process personally is is that important. I would say like I mean just get the basics down. Right. But I have. I am constantly amazed at how important HR anonymous HR surveys are okay. um, and, and how much I've learned from those. Yeah. Um, and, and I would highly recommend doing those on a, uh, an annual basis, yeah. even in the, even in the early years, uh, because you, know, you, you, you don't learn what you don't, uh, like, right. you, you just got to ask. <laughs> yeah. 
Fair enough. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go with hire and don't be, a pre- don't be afraid to pay for amazing talent. Uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of organizations will try and hit a, a salary cap and not look at amazing stuff beyond that. I will tend to look at the person and then figure out, can I afford them? And if I can't, I'll try and work out, like, I'll just be honest with them about that. The second thing I'd say is be very clear about why they're there and give them the support, the resources, the introduction, the induction that's required. You were mentioning it could be six months to nine months. For some people, it might be three months, depending upon like what their experience is and were they experienced fundraiser? Were they non-experienced? Like, you know, and just being, I won't say empathetic, but being really receptive and adaptable to that person and, you know, having a vision for that. And then three, I would say, don't be afraid of the hard conversations. Uh, have them earlier. Don't let it don't let it bubble over. Like check in, check in, check in. And also, I think as a, as in small groups, the family aspect certainly matters. I am honestly not that great at it. I used to be, I'd say, much better at it with the founding teams, but I got burned a number of times because I was too friendly. I was too jovial. I, was, I joke around. I never did anything inappropriate, but I got like, it just, people were like, dude, you're, you're our boss. Right. And I, I kind of pulled back a little bit, but what I've realized is like, when you, when you find stability and when you're in with your team and it's just very natural, you're going to accomplish great things together. And I think that's the, the last piece of this is like, you are not going to accomplish your mission alone. You need to be surrounded by people, team members, co-founders, you know, young, old, experienced, passionate, who are going to work with you, who you're going to work with to take this whole thing forward. And I think it's just a matter of like, you know, like you were saying, like you've been an employee before. So think like that, you know, like when something's happening, think about how you can be respectful of a person, how you can be empathetic to them, make sure they're, you know, getting a value out of the job itself and help them along the way. I think that's a big piece of it. And I think the last part is just, just step out of the way. Um, oftentimes the entrepreneur is the one that trips them. They're not tripping themselves. And it's only going to create a, a negative cycle where it, it just doesn't end well. And so I think like, just, you know, keep to the basics, you know, people are people, treat them like humans, have a clear idea for why they're there, help them understand that, give them the tools necessary and add water and sunshine and let them grow. So 